Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with prayers of direction as we pick up in 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 1. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. When I figure out a way by which God might answer them, then my prayers are usually direction prayers rather than direct prayers. My prayer turns into my solution. Oh, Lord, I've got it worked out. If you'll just do this and this and this, Lord, then it's going to come. You know, it'll happen. But God doesn't always follow my directions. And that's where we have problems. Because if he isn't following my directions, then I get upset with him. I don't think he wants to help me. I don't think he wants to answer my prayer. You know Why? Because he's not following my directions. I got it all worked out the way God's going to do it. Rather than just direct prayers, I'm telling God how to do his business. And so this guy tried to figure out, rationalize how, that, how in the world, when they're selling a donkey skull, for 80 pieces of silver, how in the world are they going to be selling fine flour for 65 cents tomorrow? God could go around and open up windows in heaven and dump flour all over the place. <laughs> you know, and, and, and so mocking the promise of God. Now, this is through unbelief. He mocked the promise of God because of his unbelief. Because he could not figure out in his mind a way by which God might do what God said he was going to do. Now, I often cannot figure out how God is going to do things, and that's when I really panic. As long as I can figure out a way by which God might do it, I'm usually in good shape. But when they've made the Reader's Digest drawing and my number wasn't drawn in the Grand Sweet Six, now how God going to do it? He's failed me. I had it all worked out. All he had to do is pull my number out of the box. He couldn't see. Now, I want you to know that God has resources that you know nothing about, and God has ways of working of which you have not even thought. God says, my ways are not your ways. My ways are beyond your finding out. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are beyond your finding out. It isn't up to me to discover or to know or to figure out how God is going to do his work. It's only to believe that God is going to work because he said he would. And if God said he's going to do it, he's going to do it. But this fellow, through unbelief, mocked the promise of God, and the prophet said unto him, Fellow, let me tell you something. You'll see it, but you won't eat it. God's going to work in spite of your unbelief, but you're not going to partake. And that's one tragic thing about unbelief. So often it keeps you from partaking even after God has done his work. Now God has done a glorious work of salvation for you, but many people have not partaken of that glorious work of God through unbelief. Unbelief keeps you from God's work in your life. And you can see the work of God, but not partake of it. You can see what God has done. He did what he promised you to do. But you yourself cannot partake because of unbelief. Oh, how unbelief can rob you of the things of God and the blessings of God. You're going to see it, but you won't eat it. 
Now that night, outside of the gate of, or outside of the wall of Samaria, there were four leprous men living in the garbage dump. In those days, leprosy was such a loathsome disease that the people were ostracized from the community and they were forced to live apart from the community. When people approached them, they had to start crying out, unclean, unclean, so people wouldn't get too near. Now, these people usually lived outside of the city wall, outside of the area of the wall where the people would dump their garbage. And they would survive off of the garbage that was dumped over the wall. But the famine was so bad in Samaria, they weren't dumping garbage. They were selling it. Nothing coming over the wall, and these guys are really getting hungry. Of course, you can imagine what it is if they're eating babies in the city, what it would be trying to survive off of what's thrown over the wall. And these four guys sitting there starving to death, one of them looked with, at the others, and he said, Fellas, why just sit here till we die? That's a good question. Why just sit here till we die? In other words, if I don't do anything, I'm going to die. Just sitting here, I'm going to die. Why, why just sit here till I die? Now, there's no sense going into Samaria, for they're starving in Samaria. So they can't give us any food in there anyhow. Let's go over to the camp of the Syrians. And if they kill us, we haven't lost a thing because we're going to die anyhow. But it's possible that they'll have mercy on us and give us a crust of bread. So these four fellows were taking a venture sort of in faith. But it's on that philosophy, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. I mean, if they kill us, what have we lost? We're going to die here anyhow. We're, we're starving to death. So if they kill us, we haven't lost a thing. But they might feed us, you don't know. And so they headed toward the camp of the Syrians. Four leprous men. Now, God worked a miracle. As these four leprous men were clanging down the road toward the camp of the Syrians, in that evening darkness, the Syrians thought they heard the sound of chariots and horses and a multitude of men. And they said, oh, the king of Samaria has hired the Egyptians and they're coming up against us. Let's get out of here. And they started running. And the guy said, hey, where are you going? The Egyptians are coming. Oh, you know, and they started off. And pandemonium broke out in the camp of Syria as the guys all took off, running back towards the Jordan River and across up into the Golan into Syria. So by the time these four leprous men got to the first tent, there was nobody around. So one guy opened up the tent flap and he said, wow, look at that. Table set with food. And man, these guys pounced on it and began to scarf it up. And some of the treasures that were lying around in the tent, the guys dug a hole, began to bury it. 
Someone ran to another tent, come on over here, another tent. And they ran over there and started grabbing things and burying them. And one of the fellows suddenly stopped and said, wait a minute. We're doing wrong. If we keep this up, mischief is going to come on us. For just right over close by in the city of Samaria, people are starving to death tonight. And if we are out here and we just keep this to ourselves and we just gorge ourselves but don't let them know, then mischief is going to happen to us. We better go back and tell them that there's plenty of food for everybody. So they came back to the wall of Samaria and the guard was up there pacing back and forth, looking for the Syrians, pulling his belt tight, feeling the hunger pangs. And these guys called up and they said, hey man, the Syrian camp is empty and there's plenty of food for everybody, enough to feed the whole city. And so the guard ran to the king and he said, I've just received a report. The Syrian camp is empty, and there's plenty of food for everybody. And the king said, it's a trap. Don't let anybody go out. Lock the gates. Those Syrians, they're sly people. They know how hungry we are, so they've just pulled back into the bushes, and they're hiding back in the bushes, and they're waiting for us to open the gates of the city and come flooding out. And as soon as we open the gates, then they'll come pouring in, and they're going to wipe us out. Don't let anybody go. Look again at the tragedy of unbelief. Here God has provided, just like he promised he would, but unbelief keeps them from even partaking of God's glorious provisions. One fellow said, King, there are five horses left in town that haven't been eaten. Why don't you let five of us guys go out and we will scout around, see if we can find any of the Syrians. So the king says, all right, go. And so these guys got on the five remaining horses in town and they went riding down toward the Jordan River and they came back in the morning and said, it's true, King, there's not a Syrian around on this side of the Jordan River. All the way to the Jordan River, we found sandals and coats and stuff that they threw off so they could run faster. <laughs> They're gone. And so the king said to this guy that, leaned, that he leaned upon, sort of his prime minister, who the day before had said to the prophet of God, if God would open windows in heaven, could such a thing be? The king says, you go down and you watch the gate as the people go in and out. So this guy went down to watch the gate, and the people in their hurry and in their desire to get out trampled him to death. So the word of the prophet came to pass. He saw it, but he didn't eat it. The tragic price of unbelief. Now, Elisha spake unto the woman whose son had been restored to life, and he said, you better get out of here because there's going to be a seven-year famine in this area. And so she left and she moved down to the area of the Philistines and stayed there for seven years. Now, after the seven years, she came back from the land of the Philistines and she found that people had moved into her house and onto her property and taken over her land. Now, it so happened that the king at this time was talking with Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, and Gehazi was telling him all of the miracles that Elisha had performed. And the woman was coming to the king and, and going to seek that he, you know, give her her land back and all. 
And so Gehazi was telling her about this woman that had this son and how the son died and was healed and all. And at the same time, she came up uh, to the king to see if she could get her land back. And Gehazi said, as the Lord liveth, this is the woman. This is her. This is one I was telling you about. And so the king inquired, this is the boy. This is the boy that was healed and all. It was dead and is healed. And so the king uh, had her land restored to her, plus all of the fruits from the field from the time that she had left. Now, Elisha came to Damascus. Now, up into the area of Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, who was very sick. And they told Ben-Hadad that Elisha has come on up. So he sent Haziel. Now, you'll remember that we were studying Elijah's flight down to Mount Horeb when the Lord, he was hiding in the cave, and the Lord said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah said, I've been jealous for God, and, you know, they have broken your covenant, and they've broken down your altars, and they've killed your prophets. I'm the only one left and all. The Lord said, no, what are you doing here? He's doing nothing. And God says, now look, get out of here. Go up to Damascus and anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. Now, this is sometime later. Elisha is up in Syria, and the king... Ben-Hadad is sick, and he sends Haziel, the one that Elijah had anointed to be the king over Syria, he sent him to Elisha to inquire whether or not the king was going to recover from this illness. And so Haziel came to Elisha, and he said, the king wants to know if he's going to recover from the illness. And Elisha just stood staring at him. And he said, well, what's wrong? And he said, well... He said, the king is, will surely recover from the illness, but he's going to die. And he kept staring at him. And he began to weep. And, and Haziel was very uncomfortable. And so he said, why are you weeping, my Lord? And he answered, because he said, I know the evil that you will do to the children of Israel. You're going to set their strongholds on fire. Their young men will you slay with a sword, and you will dash their children and rip up the pregnant women. And Haziel said, Am I a dog that I should do these horrible things? And Elisha answered, The Lord hath showed me that you're going to be the king over Syria. Now, Again, here is that marvelous spiritual insight as Elisha could see what the future held, what this man, Haziel, was going to be doing to the children of Israel. This is much like when Jesus was on the Mount of Olives looking at Jerusalem on the day of his triumphant entry, and as he began to weep, 
He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you'd only known what belonged to your peace in this thy day, it's hid from your eyes. And now desolation is going to come. Your children are going to be slain in the streets. And he was weeping as he could see what lay in store for this city that was before him as he was there on the Mount of Olives overlooking the city. He could see the devastation that was coming and he wept over it. So here the prophet Elisha could see what this man was going to do, the horrible devastation the atrocities, and he began to weep. And of course, the guy was embarrassed. He said, am I a dog that I would do these kind of things? He said, the Lord has shown me you are going to be the king over Syria. Well, he went back to Ben-Hadad and, and he said, what did the prophet say? And he said, the prophet said, you, uh, you would surely recover from this illness. But he took a wet blanket and he smothered Ben-Hadad and Haziel became the king over Syria. Now in the fifth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, Jehoshaphat, then being the king of Judah, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, began to reign. So here's where you've got these two Jehorams reigning. One is the son of Ahab, the other is the son of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat and Ahab were sort of co-conspirators. They were friends, and perhaps they decided to name their sons the same names. He was 32 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for eight years in Jerusalem. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel because he actually married uh, the daughter of Ahab. And thus, the idolatries and all of the northern kingdom were now introduced into Judah the southern kingdom through Jehoram, he was a wicked, evil king, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. But the Lord would not destroy Judah for David's sake. Now in his days, the Edomites revolted against Judah, and he came down to smite them, but he himself was put to flight by the Edomites. And then Libna joined in the revolt against Judah. And Joram slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, and Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his stead. Now, Ahaziah would be then a relationship to Ahab and Jezebel. He's sort of the grandson. And uh, in the twelfth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, did Ahaziah, the son of Joram, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 22 years old. When he began to reign, he reigned only for one year. His mother's name was Athaliah. She was a wicked woman. She was the daughter of Omri, the king of Israel. And he walked in the way of the house of Ahab, did evil in the sight of the Lord, as did the house of Ahab, for he was the son-in-law of the house of Ahab. And he went with Joram, the son of Ahab, to the war against Haziel, the king of Syria, and Ramoth Gilead, and the Syrians wounded Joram. And King Joram went back to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds which the Syrians had given to him when he fought against Haziel, the king of Syria. And Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, the king of Judah, went down to see Joram, the son of Ahab, in Jezreel, because he was sick. And so Azahiah went up to see the king 
uh, to uh, sort of comfort him in his sickness. Now, next week, we will pick up at chapter 9, and we will move on uh, as these two kings are assassinated uh, as they are visiting uh, there. And so uh, Jehu becomes the king over Israel and a new king over Judah. We'll continue with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of 2 Kings on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order 2 Kings 7-8 through when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. David said, Thy word have I hid in my heart, O Lord, that I might not sin against Thee. Also, the entrance of thy word giveth light. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. And may God enrich your knowledge of himself through the study of his word. And may we learn the value of commitment to God. And may we learn the dangers of unbelief. May God teach us through the word how to walk with him in faith. And may God grant to us spiritual insights in these days to come especially in which evil days are going to wax worse and worse. If you don't have spiritual insight, you're going to be going under. May God grant to you that spiritual insight that you can see behind the scenes. You can see what the others aren't seeing, that you can see that God is working and that his hand is actually in these things that are transpiring and God is bringing to pass his will and his purposes for Jesus is coming very soon. And may God grant to you great spiritual insight as we move into this dark period of the history of the United States. May you be sustained by the power of the Spirit and by the hope that is ours through the Word of God. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. 
gather the kids together because the Word for Today would like to present a kids' book by Pastor Chuck called The Story of the Resurrection of Jesus. Each book contains an audio CD of Pastor Chuck reading this story, featuring the voice talents of Skip Heidsick. But I will come back again on the third day. Greg Laurie. It's Jesus! Hi, Peter. Raul Reese. See, it's really Jesus! Gosh. Cheryl Broderson. The stone was rolled away! The tomb is empty! And so many more. It's never too early to start reading to your children timeless biblical stories taught by Pastor Chuck. To order your copy, call the word for today at 800-272-WORD. Or to see a sneak preview, visit us online at thewordfortoday.org where you can order this book in print or as a digital download. Again, the number to call is 800-272-9673.